Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. One of those big ideas, uh, definitely in 2020 and 2021, that's come more into mainstream focus, but obviously has been uh, being built behind the scenes for many years prior to that, is the digital asset space. Uh, We're excited to bring you the latest episode of our digital asset series today uh, with Alex Mashinsky and Georgia Quinn. Uh, Alex is one of the inventors of the Voice Over Internet Protocol, Uh, with a foundational patent dating back to 1994 and is now working on MOIP as opposed to VOIP, which is money over internet protocol technology. Over 35 patents have been issued to Alex relating to exchanges, uh, voice over internet protocols, uh, and messaging and communication systems as well. Alex is a serial entrepreneur and founder of seven New York City-based startups, raising more than $1 billion and exiting over $3 billion. Alex founded two of New York City's top 10 venture-backed exits since 2000, Arbonet with a 2004 IPO that had a market cap of over 750 million, and Transit Wireless, which is valued at 1.2 billion. Alex was nominated twice by Ernst & Young as Entrepreneur of the Year in 2002 and 2011, Uh, Crane's 2010 Top Entrepreneur, the prestigious 2000 Albert Einstein Technology Medal, and the Technology Foresight Award for Innovation presented in Geneva uh, at Telecom 99. Georgia Quinn, our other panelist today, is the General Counsel at Anchorage, the premier digital asset custodian and financial services platform for institutions. Prior to that, she was a General Counsel at CoinList, a cryptocurrency exchange and platform that provides services to top token developers, including compliant offering, distribution, and liquidity services. She's also the co-founder of iDisclose, which is now called LawCloud, a legal technology company focused on the disclosure and legal document needs of small businesses and startup entrepreneurs. Uh, Ms. Quinn began her practice in capital markets at Weil Gottschall uh, and Mangus, and later moved to Safarth Shaw uh, before founding iDisclose. Uh, hosting today's talk is BlockWorks senior reporter Tanea McKeel, uh, who's making her debut here on Salt Talks. We're very grateful for her for leading today's conversation. And without any further ado, I'll turn it over to Tanea uh, for the conversation. Cool. Thanks, John, um, so much. And thanks to Salt for having all of us today. I'm so um, glad to be joined by Georgia and by Alex. Uh, There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Let's jump right in. Before I do that, I want to hear a little bit about the companies you're both at. Um, So Anchorage and Celsius, a lot of stuff in common, but seem very different. Um, Georgia, I want to start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about about the problem that Anchorage is trying to solve and what you guys are trying to accomplish today. Great, and thank you so much. Thanks to Salt. Um, thank you, Tanea. Really, really happy to be here. So, um, uh, as mentioned, I'm the general counsel of a company called Anchorage. Uh, we are a digital asset platform that provides custodial and other financial solutions for institutional clients. And, um, you know, one thing that I, you know, I'm excited to share with everyone is that we recently received the first uh, national banking charter for a digital asset bank. Um, 
And, you know, this is a real monumental moment, not just for us, but I think for the entire crypto industry. And it really just validates, you know, years and years of work that we put into this. And then also just it's kind of the mainstreaming of cryptocurrency and digital assets. And uh, I'm just super excited to be uh, a part of this. And I hope, you know, I can kind of share some little, um, you know, vignettes about this whole process uh, as we, as we, you know, further discuss things today. But uh, just back to Anchorage and this, so, you know, our digital asset bank, we custody assets for our clients. We also provide other services such as settlements of transactions, settlement of trades. We provide uh, staking services and governance services so that our clients can also get other value out of the assets that they're custodying with us. Um, we also provide lending services through another subsidiary and um, brokerage services through yet another subsidiary. And the rationale behind these multiple subsidiaries are they're each regulated by a different uh, regulatory agency. And so we like to cabin our, our activities uh, in entities so that they're not subject to multiple agencies. Anyway, lawyery stuff, lawyery stuff. I'll, I'll stop with that. But, um, but um, importantly, our, our real focus is we are a crypto native custodian. So uh, we've built all of our infrastructure and our technology with crypto in mind. We're not trying to map on some, you know, um, old world sort of banking or fiduciary technology onto crypto. Um, and we do feel that our technology is our differentiating feature. Cool. Um, Alex, what's going on at Celsius? Who, how many customers do you have? And who are they? Yeah, so thanks, uh, Tania. Um, I think last time we, we were together was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange when you were you on my show. Yeah. Shattered TV. Yeah. So uh, in person, you know, look at us now, right? <laughs> um, and, and I think George is being a little modest uh, because it's not just, you know, Encourage is, is, is not just a breakthrough, but it's really uh, the first time a bank was created, not from the traditional side of the, the kind of like legacy, but rather from the digital side. So definitely we, we're big fans. We're partners with uh, with Anchorage and, and uh, obviously customer as well. So um, so Celsius is is uh, currently uh, almost 500,000 users. Uh, we just crossed uh, nine and a half billion in assets. And so more than 10x growth since uh, last year. And uh, it's just uh, being crazy. It's uh, it's it, we we've blown through our 2022 numbers already, and it's just uh, March of 2021. So it's uh, um, you know I think I, I always joke that it's not that we are so good; it's that the banks are so bad. You know that makes us so successful. So so Alex, who who exactly are your users? I know Anchorage serves institutions. You guys do a lot of lending. Who is on either side of that transaction? Yeah, so so we uh, basically aggregate assets from retail and lend them to an institution. So our our customers are mostly retail uh, users who want to earn yield on their crypto. We support 45 different assets and uh, we aggregate that. that that's that nine and a half billion dollars that I was talking about. And then we have uh, basically institutions, exchanges, DeFi and retail uh, that does margin borrow that are basically uh, coming to us with uh, requests, short-term, long-term requests for borrowing either digital assets or dollars. 
Um, this is a question I don't love to ask. I've covered crypto since about 2013, so I know how very nuanced it can be. And I hate to give such a simplified um, question, but are you guys competitors? I think the real question I want to know is who is a potential partner for each of your companies um, and who, at least in the near term, uh, is someone that you consider a competitor or a type of company, if you don't want to name names, um, that you would consider a competitor? And uh, Georgia, let's start with you again. Great. And this, um, this is like an easy layup for me, so it's no problem here. Um, so our competitors would be other custodians other, you know, custodians that are catering, frankly, to institutions, and there are very few of them. So um, importantly, we have taken a relatively narrow lane. We do not operate an exchange. We are not issuing cryptocurrencies. We are not, you know, trying to do the be all end all of everything. We simply want to hold assets in a safe and secure way that can still allow people to access them in order to participate in the networks. Like we're not trying to, to neuter all of the wonderful technologies that blockchain allows for. We're simply trying to make sure we can maintain it in a very safe and secure way, um, which is you know why we are able to assist with staking and, and governance things because we do have like on-chain capability while still maintaining a cold storage security. Um, as far as partners, it's everybody. It's anybody who doesn't wanna do the dirty work of custodying in a safe and secure way. Um, it's banks, it's Celsius, it's hedge funds. It's, um, you know, we are the infrastructure to help everyone else build on top of us and fulfill, you know, their business models and dreams. We just, you know, it's, it's like not the sexiest thing, but it, it's necessary and, that's where we want to be. Okay, Alex, how does your answer differ from that? Well, I, I think technology is sexy. I've been doing it for 35 years and, you know, but uh, on a serious note, look, the, the, we, we compete with the banks, right? I mean, we compete with um, uh, banks offering 0.1% on your hard earned dollars. Uh, and Celsius today offers 10 and percent. That's a hundred times more. So, so, which is crazy, right? You would ask yourself, wait a second, how is it possible? Somebody must be cheating. Somebody must be lying. If you can pay a hundred times more than an average bank. Uh, uh, and really the, the answer is, is that banks are focused on delivering all that value that they create to their shareholders. And, and Celsius is focused on delivering all the value to its depositors or to its users, right? So we, Every day we generate yield and we give 80% of it back to our depositors. Now, I happen to be the largest user of Celsius, right? I have several hundred million dollars of my own money there. So I'm paying myself, which is easy. But, uh, you know, I joke that we, I built Celsius and then 450,000 people showed up and said, hey, can we use the same thing? So DeFi, DeFi has this amazing capability of delivering yield uh, and it's sustainable and it's scalable. And I think the banks are now really scratching their head and saying, how do we compete with this new model? Okay, this is um, wildly popular right now, but for anyone that's watching this who is new to DeFi, can you explain briefly um, what decentralized finance is? Yeah, so, so, so basically centralized finance is a traditional uh, uh, bank as a middleman, bank as a somebody who basically 
collects uh, assets from depositors and then creates yield either through issuing loans or through rehypothecation. And uh, in most cases, banks get to, I mean, look at JP Morgan or uh, Bank of America, any of those guys. I mean, they make tens of billions of dollars every quarter uh, from basically keeping a difference between the spreads. So for example, they will charge you 20% on your credit card, but they'll only pay you half of 1% on deposits. So that spread is uh, what they keep. And most of it goes to the bank. And DeFi or decentralized finance is something that is based on infrastructure uh, related to the blockchain, to open ledgers, in which basically there is a, a, a smart contract or some kind of infrastructure that everybody has access to. It's not just the this or that licensed bank. And you can deposit a certain asset to, tr to exchange, to transact, or you can borrow or lend. And whatever yield exists in that environment, you get to keep all of it. So, so it's a very different uh, uh, type of solution that does not require a middleman or, or a middle party like a bank or a financial institution. So that's decentralized finance, but you have to know what you're doing, right? You have to be careful. You, if you put your money in a risky smart contract, you can lose it all. And so people really need uh, almost like a shepherd or somebody that knows what is safe, what is not safe, can aggregate yield, and just deliver that value to them as a depositor. Right. Um, and of course, there are many, many very um, exciting and talented um, people and brands that are emerging in this space trying to fill that need. But I think that a lot of customers and users would also look to regulation, um, which is what we're here to talk about today, to you know, kind of outline what is safe and what's not and, you know, where to put the brakes. Um, one, uh, both of you mentioned earlier uh, that Anchorage earlier this year got an OCC charter. So it's the first um, nationally regulated crypto bank. Um, and George, I'm going to stick with Alex for just another minute or two. But uh, wh who... Who would be your regulator at Celsius? Like what, um, are there any licenses that you're seeking now? Who are you working most closely with at Celsius in order to ensure that you guys are on the right path? Yeah, so so we, uh, we don't see a, a gap or a, a disconnect between uh, being in crypto and being fully compliant. I think there's a lot of offshore operators who kind of try to... Uh, uh, skate the law or avoid the law. And uh, we operate in over 200 countries, like in the UK, uh, which is our, our main uh, main operations out of the UK. We The FCA is our regulator. In the US, we filed with both the SEC and the FinCEN. And we applied for multiple lending licenses in certain states where you need a license. Uh, but uh, there is no activity that we perform uh, that is, uh, you know, that is new or different than what most banks already uh, deliver. So uh, we we face about 350 institutions. Most of those are uh, are, are registered either with, uh, uh, you know, uh, the CFTC or with uh, uh, with the SEC, and there it's much less regulated. I would say because both the SEC looks at both of us as kind of like accredited uh, um, um, institutions, but on the retail side, there are a lot of protections that the retail person have 
that we need to abide by, but we also have to do KYC, ML, and all the other stuff. So that's kind of like the overall um, regulatory regime that we operate under. Okay. Uh, Georgia, how are you looking at the state of regulation uh, of the digital asset industry today? You at Anchorage um, just went through what I assume was a lot to get that charter from the OCC. All of your clients are, from what I can tell, um, banks, whether they are fintech apps or, you know, traditional institutions, they are highly regulated companies. So what is sort of your outlook on digital asset regulation today? Are you optimistic? Do you feel good about it? Um, you know, what what's on your mind today? So it's, it's funny. I was just in a discussion about this um with someone else. And this state of crypto regulation is much better, much more mature, much further along than it was in like, you know, the 2013 or the, even the 2017 um, that you were kind of mentioning. And a lot of that is due to, I think, um, well, it's several things, but it's, there's the educational push, just that um, people understand, regulators understand this industry a lot more. They understand the technology, they get conceptually what is happening, um, you know, one really great thing about the whole OCC approval process was that, um, you know, I mean, and I've gone through like regulatory process with like SEC, CFTC, state regulators for money transmission, state lending regulators, state trust charters, like you name it. And this process was really the first time that like on our very first like introductory interview, the examiners and the staffers were asking very like, important and like pithy questions about the technology. Like there was a level of understanding that they were just like, it was like a, a new level set, you know? And um, usually with, with regulators and you know, legislators, the first hour is just spent like explaining. And then finally you might start getting into some meaty issues. And we just hit the ground running with the OCC and it was so refreshing. And you could tell that there's just been a, focus and a dedication to the industry that hasn't been there before. So that's the education piece. And then I think the reason that a lot of these regulators have had to just kind of get religion and really start understanding is because it's so popular just in the mainstream, right? I mean, people are clamoring for these assets and, and, and understanding and knowledge about them. And so the regulators realize like, we got to get on board, you know, this is not going away. Um, where I am concerned, so so look, so there's this appreciation, this understanding. We've had some some positive things with like the SEC no action letter for the special purpose broker dealer. Um, obviously, the OCC and the guidance that they've been putting out. Uh, we have the Wyoming special purpose depository institution thing. Um, there's a lot of, of of things that seem to be progressing. At the same time, um, you know, with this regime change there's a lot of uncertainty again, you know, because we kind of knew what we had with the old, you know, regime. And now it's not quite, you know, we're not quite certain. And we're, you know, feeling people out and taking temperatures as to really what, um, what is their appetite for this asset class? What are their intentions? And, you know, I am, I'm very cautious about certain of the appointees. I'm, I'm, I don't think that they are friendly to crypto and, and, um, you know, we didn't do ourselves any favors with 2017, right? Like that was terrible. And, you know, we've got to really work to get through that, um, that stigma, but we, we've got to just 
start re-educating and make sure that we show that, you know, the use cases, like Alex is saying, like he is helping his customers. They are getting a product and a service that they cannot find anywhere else. And it's helping them to grow and prosper and, you know, better the economy. So I don't, um, as long as we're doing things in a safe and, and sound manner, then there shouldn't be objections, but we have to make those arguments. We can't just continually be like the currency of vice. Right. Uh, if I can, if I can add to this, the, this is really a global competition, meaning it's not just the U.S. regulator or the U.S. oversight. Uh, basically, you're seeing uh, in China, for example, there's already a, a, a digital currency that the government came up with. We are behind it. Uh, Europe has its own regulatory uh, oversight, which is probably more, even more strict than we have in the United States as relates to cryptocurrencies. I'm talking about the European Union, uh, not the U.K., and, and Singapore and other uh, countries are basically taking much more progressive and, and accelerated uh, regulatory uh, oversight for everything that we're doing. So, so the competition is here is for talent, is for capital. And if we just make the wrong choices or if we make it super hard uh, for companies or entrepreneurs or, or even individuals to use their uh, crypto here, it's just going to migrate somewhere else. So, so I think this is not... Uh, something that is uh, to do with just the United States and, and the opinion of the Secretary of the Treasury or, or this or that lawmaker, uh, are, are it, it's important what they think, but we need to also look at the competitive landscape worldwide and make sure that we are, we invented this thing, that we are uh, uh, at the lead of it as well. And we don't, don't cede all this technology to other people just because we either don't regulate at all and we don't know what we're doing, or we overregulate. All right. You've both touched on what I wanted to ask you next. So I'm going to press you a little bit harder about it. Um, I think both of you have alluded to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who um, many times, but also very recently, um, has made comments about Bitcoin. She said it's extremely inefficient um, as a way for conducting monetary transactions. She said it's speculative in nature. It could end badly for some. Um, you know, it's a growing problem for illicit transactions and terrorist funding. I think so many people who are participant participants in this industry uh, would hear that and say, she doesn't understand and you know we need to do a little bit more on the education side but so so maybe she's wrong and there is still a bit more education to do but how like exactly how detrimental do you think that comments like that are in the near middle and long term just putting the comments aside and just kind of zooming in on who Janet Yellen is with you know coming from someone with her influence and in her her position, how will this ultimately affect the digital asset industry um, in the next couple of years, let's say? Uh, let's start with Alex. Sure. So look, uh, uh, Janet is yelling. And the fact that she's yelling about uh, Bitcoin tells you that her job is to protect the dollar, right? So so, uh, so if she's worried about the dollar uh, or she's worried about the Bitcoin affecting the dollar, that just tells you how far we have come. But, but I think the industry as a whole is not a Bitcoin industry. It's a, it's a digital currencies industry. And, and currently there's over 15,000 different assets. Bitcoin is just one of them. So, so we are not uh, talking, I, I don't think this discussion is just about Bitcoin. I think 
We're talking about all the different types of uh, services that, that uh, you know, uh, Georgia or, or, or Celsius or anyone else provides. And they encompass, uh, for example, stable coins, which are dollar denominated, which has 20 times the velocity of the average dollar in the regular economy. So I'm sure that uh, Janet Yellen loves that part of the digital currency business. She just doesn't like the Bitcoin part of the business, which is kind of endangering the reserve currency. It's becoming more and more of a store of value, which is competing with the US dollar. Yeah, just from like a super practical perspective, right? Like, so um, she's a treasury. She does have authority over, you know, like OCC, the Fed, like they're all working and interacting together. Um, that sets banking policy, that sets federal monetary policy. Um, there's a whole other host of laws that apply to these types of assets that she has no influence in. But the, the point is she's setting a tone at the top. And it's the question is, is that going to trickle down? And I understand, look, this is a global industry. We should look to other. OK, but I'm here <laughs> and my company is here. So it really matters, you know, what is happening um, in the U.S. and what the, the mindset of our regulators are. And um, it's, it's hard to know at this point, but I will say like Mnuchin was no lover of crypto, right? And as hard as he may have tried, like he didn't really bring us down. So the, it's, you really have to just think about, well, what's the role? Like how much power? Like I'm much more worried about like a Gensler. Like I think the power that that office could potentially wield and the, you know, what could or couldn't happen with respect to crypto to me, even though I'm like actually a bank regulated by the OCC, but I, I actually think that has a potential to, to do, you know, I, it, that's the one that, that keeps me up at night, frankly. It's, it's actually not, not uh, Ms. Yellen. Uh, and I guess for anyone who uh, needs the background, Harry Gessler um, is the former head of the CFTC. He is very uh, fluent in crypto. I think he taught a course on it at MIT. Um, and I guess the, previously the SEC has really been criticized for being too cautious when it comes to legitimate good innovation and then not firm enough when it needed to be. Um, and I'm specifically referring to 2017, which uh, George also alluded to, which was kind of the ICO craze. Um, what do either of you have any predictions for what is going to happen? Uh, I guess how Gensler is going to steer this ship. Um, let's stick with you, Georgia. Well, I saw a twinkle in Alex's eye, so I'm, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. But um, yeah, so I think it's like a double-edged sword. I think that he is extremely knowledgeable in this area, and that is wonderful. Like, it's great to have someone who actually understands the technology, and I think he sees the vision. I really do. Um, my concern is that he is a regulator now, and very few times does a regulator say, you know what, that's actually not in my jurisdiction. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna let you take that CFTC or I'm gonna just let some other agency handle those matters. Like now that he is, you know, at the SEC, I think every, what is it? Uh, every, if you've got a hammer, everything's a nail. Like I, I do really think that he's going my, to try to- You stole my punchline. 
That was, oh, that was exactly that's the, the twinkle. I saw the twinkle and I just snapped it up. But I and, and it's but it's a legitimate concern because we also know he's a very proactive regulator, right? Like when he was at the CFTC, he just pulled as much into his orbit as he could. And I see him doing that again. And I think that the the repercussions will be um really could be really detrimental because in my opinion, the securities laws just do not map well onto most of these types of assets. And I'm not talking about ICOs. I'm not talking about raising funds to start an operation or to, to, to finance a project. I'm actually talking about cryptocurrencies and the way they operate and the way they need to be bought and sold and traded and transacted. And I just do not feel that the securities laws are gonna map well. Like who's the transfer agent? Who's the clearing broker? Who's the, like, what exchange? Is it a national securities exchange? No, like none of these applicable terms and and frankly gatekeepers are going to apply to this industry. And so unless he wants to just completely create an alternate universe where he creates a whole new system of laws that apply to cryptocurrencies, it's going to be really hard to fit that peg in the hole. Alex, do you have anything to add on this? Yeah. So yeah, to hammer everything looks like a nail, right? And that was the analogy that... uh that uh, we both are going to, uh, we're using the, so it, even the previous uh, head of the SEC had basically the same kind of uh, attitude that, hey, I'm going to use a law that was written in 1930 uh, to apply or regulate uh, what's happening today, the latest and greatest technology. I mean, we, look, we, we moved from double entry uh, accounting system to a triple entry accounting system. The last time there was a change in the accounting system was when Venice created the double entry accounting system, right? In the, whatever, 1500 years ago, whatever that was. So this is a monumental earthquake. This is not like a little upgrade that is happening. Uh, this is the, a new form of money, right? And, and in the history of mankind, this only happened four times, right? In, in total. So so we cannot apply old, old rules and, and basic regulation uh, to, something that is hopefully going to be bigger than the internet, right? So I think we have an opportunity here to uh, really invent the future. And sometimes when you invent the future, the hardest thing is to leave the past behind us, right? Is is to not apply those hardened rules, like Georgia said, uh, uh, to our ability to uh, effectively create this new uh, dynamic and, and, and capable financial system uh, that is not operating in the same rules and the same uh, fundamentals as we used in the financial system to date. So that's the uh, that's the opportunity that I think is is in front of us. And uh, you know the regulators uh, are really they're not the lawmakers, right? They're the reg they are the they are the cop that are enforcing or interpreting the law. Uh, and I think you you see like especially with the lawsuit with XRP or some other action that has been taken by the SEC, I think that those 1930s laws are going to be tested uh, in court and judges and and, uh, our peers are going to decide if we're here to enable the future or we're here to just guard the past. I just, Alex, I want to add one thing because I don't know if you heard, but Commissioner Peirce gave a speech last week where she said something, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but something along the lines of, it's a regulator's job to protect investors and not incumbents. And I just thought like that totally like 
you know, resonates. It's like, it's just what you were saying. It's like, we have to think, are we, are we here to protect the past? Are we here to ensure that the future is worth living in? And and look, we we went, uh, I'm old enough to have lived through the internet boom and and I had a startup, uh, this, this crazy idea that you can take a a voice conversation and instead of running it through AT&T, you can put it on the internet and bypass all that infrastructure. And, And the FCC, not the SEC, but the FCC, had to make a tough decision of, of the regulators there in Washington had to say, okay, are we going to protect AT&T or are we going to allow voice of IP uh, to be a free service? We're using it for free right now uh, to replace all the phone companies and all of this infrastructure that has been built over a hundred years. So, so we've seen that this, uh, uh, you know, Eureka moment that translated into basically a Cambrian explosion of innovation on the internet. We're going through the same thing right now, right? We're going through this massive innovation that is really an opportunity for all of us to reinvent what is money, what is financial planning, uh, who benefits from all of that, and really take the power from this concentrated, consolidated banking system and create a decentralized version of it. Um, I want to ask one more question on regulation um, before I broaden it out a little bit again. But what, uh, either personally or on behalf of the companies you both work for, uh, what for you should be the top regulatory priority in 2021? Like, what is the first thing that you would want to see addressed if you just had an ear, a line into anyone's ear on the regulatory stage? Uh, What do you want? Alex, let's start with you. Sure. So, so I would I would push for equal access. What does it mean? Equal access is that today uh, both DeFi and cryptocurrencies are still uh, almost like the game of the one percent, right? I mean, most people, uh, unfortunately, a transaction on Ethereum today is thirty to fifty dollars. Most people can't afford the fee, not the transaction itself. They can't afford the fee that the network charges to come and play in this sandbox. So I think uh, if regulators want to focus on something, uh, it it is about making sure that everybody has equal access and everybody has equal benefit, right? Because this technology is amazing, but unless we include everybody, for example, crypto only has 15% women, right? How do you make sure that women have access, that, that they have the education, that they get equal seat at the table? Uh, so all these things are things that we are very worried about because for Celsius or Anchorage or the crypto community to be successful, these are the things we have to make sure that they happen. If they don't happen, if we're just a, a private club of rich guys who are doing stuff on, on, the, on, on the blockchain, uh, that is, we haven't done anything. Yeah, I often say that uh, a lot of days new finance kind of just looks a lot like old finance. I would argue that it's on the companies and the employer to kind of help with that gap and getting women a seat at the table. Um, I do want to press you on what, I mean, what would the regulators do about that? About all of that, all about access, about fees. What, how is that on the so today, I don't think the regulators are worried about that today. I think most regulators are worried about compliance and protecting the innocent and making sure that they have view into the transactions to make sure there's no illicit activity. So they're more focused on the past versus being focused on the future. Like, 
unfortunately, again, China is ahead of us. China is already experimenting with actually enabling hundreds of millions of, of, of yuan to be distributed digitally and seeing what is the impact to their economy? What is the impact to equality? What is the impact uh, to, to the small business, to the big business and so on? So, so we are in a catch up mode here. And, and a lot of it has to do with, again, the, the lack of clarity from the regulatory side that prevents a lot of capital and a lot of people uh, committing their futures to, to this type of technology. Okay, George. What would your ask be of regulators? Okay, well, um, in in uh, stark uh, contrast to Alex, um, with he's got these big, wonderful visions. I'm just going to get real practical. Um, we need some tax certainty. Seriously, people, like we need to know how to treat these assets when they are taxable. What lending, like Alex, you got to hear me out on the lending treatment, right? Yeah. Like this cannot be a realization event when you lend these assets out. Like people, we need to understand what to do about this because the problem is we're just like building up all this like debt, you know, along the way. I'm, I'm using this like in the kind of like the technical debt sort of, you know, concept, but we just, we're coming up with it ourselves. and. The IRS is not giving us guidance and they're frankly refusing to give us guidance. And we just, we're trying to obey the law. We're trying to pay our taxes and we just don't even know how to go about doing that. So um, we really need some tax guidance because especially now that we've got valuations where they're at, like this is real money and it could have like really, really, you know, intense consequences. All right. Um, I have been seeing this term pop up all over crypto Twitter, CFI, um, and which I just assume is kind of the same thing as regular finance, although I is how just really want to zoom out and talk about how we can, and this is what we're all about at BlockWorks, for anyone that's unfamiliar, we really focus on reporting on digital assets for institutional investors. Um, in... Like I said, I've been reporting on crypto since 2013, and even until now, with all of this progress um, and all of this new innovation in the space and all these new participants, it really still feels like there are two separate worlds. It's new finance and old finance. It's cryptocurrency and traditional fiat currency. Um, but it does seem convergence of these two worlds, but it still feels like it's separate. Georgia. How can we bridge these two worlds together? Oh my gosh, this is our mission at Anchorage. Like we well, don't see- I talk to people all the time and they're like, this is what we're trying to do. And yeah, it still feels separate. I know it doesn't happen overnight, but what would get us there? Yeah, like this is not a death match of, you know, traditional finance and crypto. That is not what we're doing. Like we can all actually like work together. There are, I mean, believe it or not, there are some- very beneficial attributes to the traditional banking system. And so we can take those and then we can call on the other, you know, good things that we can bring to the table and build something great. But the way we're doing it, like very simply at Anchorage, um, and I say very simply, but it took like a monumental legal charter and like, you know, change in, in banking. But regardless, we're using that to very simply provide the technical infrastructure for traditional banks to offer these services to their clients. And 
we want to do it in the most non-threatening way possible. We are not after their clients. We are not after their relationships. We simply want to allow them to provide the services that, frankly, their clients are asking for now. Their clients want to get involved. They're seeing, you know, valuations. They're seeing participation by their peers and, and colleagues, and they want to have a seat at the table, too. And we want them to be able to do it through their bank, through their traditional, like, trusted finance institution. And so we can be that um, basically sub-custodian to banks that just want to be able to provide this service to their clients. And we want to do it, like I said, in like a very non-threatening way. Um, and the cool thing about that is we're providing like this crypto native technology, which is, you know, to me, best in class. And also we're regulated at the same level that they are. And they don't have to worry about like watching over our shoulder and are we doing things appropriately because they know that they're, you know, regulated by the OCC as well. And um, that, I mean, that's really how I see us integrating. Also just allowing other institutions, other regulated institutions like um, registered investment advisors and investment companies to similarly be able to custody their assets with us and know, again, that we meet that definition of bank in, you know, the applicable securities regs and that they'll be able to fulfill their mandate but also keep those assets in, you know, the, the safest, most secure way possible for the benefit of their clients. And so it's really bridging the crypto. We're bringing the technology to the table. They're bringing, you know, their traditional business models. And hopefully we work in this, like, glorious symbiosis. Great. Uh, Alex, how are we going to bridge these two worlds together? Final thing before I uh, offer up, offer you two final comments. Yeah, so I agree with you. Right now it's oil and water, uh, but you can't put oil and water into a lava lamp and make something beautiful, right, out of it. So so I think what we're trying to do is is have one leg in the centralized world and one leg in the decentralized world, right? One in CFI, one in DeFi, and build a bridge because, again, what, what what's really happening is that a lot of assets are moving. The value is moving from the centralized world to the decentralized world, and our job is just to make sure that the path is wide enough, that there are no uh, uh, potholes or you don't fall off the bridge into the ocean. You know, so it's that simple. Right. People still have to learn. They still have to understand what digital assets are. And it's a it's a long uh, learning curve. It's not like, OK, you know, I have a checking account here. I have a checking account on the other side. There's no such thing in crypto. <laughs> as a checking account so or a savings account or a mortgage or anything like that. So so what, what we're trying to do at Celsius is really package all these things and, and hide the complexity, hide the, the, all of the uh, jargon and the, the need to know private key, public key, uh, you know, uh, 10,000 different assets and really deliver the value that the customer needs. I need a loan or I, I want to earn yield or I need asset protection, or I want uh, to make sure that, for example, uh, I, I, I protect my assets against debasement or against devaluation, right? So those are the key main services that DeFi provides today in a very uh, good way. And the job is really to enable DeFi to just become one more asset class. I agree with Georgia, this is not a competition. It's not one, only one side wins. It's more about a new asset class that is going to take a market share. It's going to be whatever, 5%, 10% of the total assets. And uh, the world's um, uh, asset managers are going to have to allocate 
to this asset class because it's part of the pie. Thanks, you two. Um, one at a time, starting with Georgia. What are, what in 2021 are you the most excited to see happen in the digital asset industry unrelated to your own business at Anchorage? So I'm just really curious to see where DeFi goes. I mean, this is just like very cutting edge. Um, I... I have certain reservations about some aspects of it, um, but I just, I'm really curious. I love the creativity that we're seeing and um, I love the access, which is something Alex mentioned before that, you know, um, and I, I know you said not Anchorage, but I, there's a little thing. It's not not a very big part of our business, but we, we are helping with the DeFi space in um, custodying the reserves for the wrapped assets. And um, it's just very exciting because like you already have this one very novel thing and then somebody's like, yeah, but you know, like that's not crazy enough. Like we need to just make it into a whole other, you know, use a whole other protocol and wrap it in that protocol and now apply it. And it's just, it's great. It's just such an, an exciting time to, to, you know, be a practitioner and be in this space. So I'm, I'm really, I got my eye focused on, on DeFi. Um, it actually was my Halloween costume last year. I was DeFi, but um, I'll show you that later. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to see where that goes. Alex. Yeah, that's great. I love that answer. The, the, so I'm, I'm very excited about the fact that unlike 2017, uh, we have uh, three drivers here. We have both retail and corporate and institutional uh, demand, which is very, very special because that tells you that you have a very broad base of users. They're coming for different reasons. And in the market, uh, uh, if you want DeFi or cryptocurrencies to really thrive, you need these different constituencies because they all have different needs. So that's one side of it. The other side that I'm very uh, excited about is it's almost like a three-horse uh, race between the corporate version of the blockchain, the government version or the uh, CBDCs, and the open source version, which is like the basically the Bitcoin version, right? And, and really there's competition between basically Facebook or JP Morgan, uh, the government version. And, and again, this goes back to 1996, uh, where uh, we had the internet was came in three versions. There was the IBM version, there was the government version, Al Gore, who invented the internet, you know, had his own version of the information superhighway. And then we had the open source in, uh, uh, internet, right? And obviously the open source won. Uh, so I'm very uh, big uh, proponent, obviously, of the, of the public internet or public blockchain. And I'm hoping that all these newcomers, the corporates, the retail, the institutional, are going to vote for the public version and not for one or the other two. All right. Well, Georgia, Alex, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And I will pop it back over to John. Well, thank you, Tanea, so for serving as our as our guest host here on our Salt Talks Digital Asset Series. You know, we as a, a firm at Skybridge have obviously dove into the crypto marketplace with two feet. We have about, I think, $500 million of exposure, long exposure in our fund of funds um, to Bitcoin. So it's been exciting to to meet new people in the space and uh, grateful for you hosting uh, Georgia and Alex. I know Alex uh, was slated to speak at our SALT conference in 2019, 
but wasn't actually able to make it. So glad to have you on, Alex, and, and thank you all for being here. And uh, thank you, thank you everybody for, for tuning into today's SALT Talk as well. Again, we love educating our audience, which I would say is not your prototypical uh, crypto, Bitcoin, digital asset audience. We love educating that audience about uh, things that are going on in the space. So thank you for tuning in. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous SALT Talks, you can access them all on our website for free and on our YouTube channel. Our website is salt.org backslash talks. And our YouTube channel is called Salt Tube, and you again can access all these episodes for free. Now, please spread the word about these Salt Talks. Again, if you're trying to educate people in your family or your friends about the digital asset space, we have uh, a dozen or more great talks uh, focused on what's going on in the ecosystem. Uh, we're also on social media. We're most active on Twitter at Salt Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And on behalf of the entire SALT team and Tanea, who graciously hosted us today, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks. Uh, we hope to see you back here soon.